Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast you really don't want to miss. I'm Suzanne Harris, and today you're going to get a sneak peek behind the scenes at what it's like to be an author. You'll hear the backstory behind their book, who or what inspires them, where their ideas come from, and, you know, who knows, you might even get the inside scoop on a new project. If you want to know more about them and their work, we'll tell you where you can find more. Joining me today is Kathy Stouffer, and she's here to talk about her latest novel, Thou Shalt Not. Kathy, welcome. Thank you. Good morning, Suzanne. Now, I know a secret about you that you're going to tell our listeners, because I am always curious about how the writer becomes the writer. I always do my homework, and so I know what that backstory is. Let's tell our listeners how you first started writing. Very interesting question. That goes back a long ways. Um, 1960s, a college journalism class, and um, the world of written words and the creative possibilities just enlightened me. At the time, I experimented with poetry and writing short descriptive pieces. Um, had some published, but it was um, decades later um, after teaching, actually uh, raising children, having daycare in my house, on and on and on, that I was tempted or almost pulled to write a book um, because I thought, well, I would go to the library and take home books three or four at a time. And if I couldn't get into them by the second chapter, I would take it back. And I started thinking, I can write a better book than this. Um, I was very naive. Um, I read somewhere that Somerset Maugham, um, I believe his name was, said there are three rules for writing a novel. Unfortunately, no one knows what they are. And <laughs> I did not. So I guess I was on the right path there. I know exactly what you mean. Had you never prior to this class, felt the pull to do any kind of writing? No, um, actually, no. I think in the school I did, mainly we wrote reports. I don't know if I ever even wrote a poem or any kind of descriptive writing in school. I went to a very small school. There were only eight in my class when I was a junior. We consolidated, and I was so excited to start school because we'd have a bigger class we had a class of 26, um, but I only write, remember writing reports. I don't remember writing anything that I would consider now to be really fun. What did the college teacher do that prized the lid off of that creativity? Just give you the opportunity to write in a creative way? Actually, it was a journalism class that was more about newspaper writing uh, oh. than creative writing. But for some reason, and, and I can still picture him being in front of the classroom, it's like a little old man kind of slumped over with a gray beard. Um, maybe it was just his mannerisms. I, I don't know, but we mainly wrote newspaper articles, but I started experimenting with words and also reading um, the poetry or the um, college anthology, the local college anthology that was published each year. Um, funny story. I sent an article into um, a newspaper. It wasn't an article. It was poetry. And I thought, they'll never publish this. And they did. And it frightened me. 
all of a sudden I felt very vulnerable. And I sent a letter to the newspaper and said, um, I didn't give you permission to publish this. And they sent a letter back and said, well, you sent it to us. You know, we asked for, for whatever submissions. And, but I think it was the feeling that I had put myself out there, um, my vulnerability or some rawness in the poem. And I probably sent it in because I wanted some affirmation of what I was writing. Was it worthy? Was it good? And then they published and it just, it like knocked my socks off. <laughs> I love that so story. I love that story. And the naivete that you just expressed is wonderful. You sent it in with really no expectation that anything would happen. And then there it is in the paper. Wait a minute. What do you mean you published this? Yes. Actually, that same thing, similar thing happened many decades later. Here we go from college to um, 2008. Um, One of my writer friends gave my name to a newspaper reporter in a larger nearby town because he was doing um, articles on, uh, oh, what generation do they call it that we come from? Um, Boomers? Baby boomer. Baby baby boomer. On writers. And so he called me and asked about my poetry and said, you know, what's your upcoming project? And I said, well, I've, I've started a book. And I told him a little bit about that. And he said, why don't you send a photo? He said, I don't know if we'll use your information or not. And so here, me again, in my naivete, thinking, you know, they're not going to write about me. Um, it comes out in the Sunday paper on the front page of the um, the uh, search section, a certain section of the uh, paper. Here's my picture along with uh, a man from, a professor from a college, and Stephen King. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, Yes. And so it's like telling people you're going on a diet and, you know, still being 50 pounds overweight. So weeks later, or a couple of months later, it's like I told people I was going to write a book. Now I have to. <laughs> Another thing that kind of knocked my socks off. Kathy, I love it. I hope that if we have people who are listening to us right now, and if they have had the same thought, I think I can write a book. I hope that your story will encourage somebody to actually put their foot out there and actually take that step forward and really write that book. Now, there are always, I've discovered this, this is so funny, This is uh, I'm about to say something that's so obvious, but it never occurred to me until one day I finished doing an interview with someone, and all of a sudden I thought to myself, All books have two stories. There's the story that the reader gets when they read the book from cover to cover. But then there's always that story that's behind the book. Now, your writing is very interesting because it's classified as historic fiction or historical fiction. But your approach is very different than anybody else's approach that I've heard. Because of how you do this, tell our, our listeners a little bit about how you approached Thou Shalt Not. Well, actually, Thou Shalt Not came to me, sort of, in that 
I had one, two, three books under my belt. They were not perfect. They were not well edited. It was a huge learning curve. I'm still learning. Um, With the technology, the publishing world has been turned upside down. I read somewhere that there are like 10,000 books that are published in the United States every single day of the week. And so for a person to get their book out there, it's pretty difficult. But still, as you have just said, if you feel a pull to write a book, then sit down, do it, because you have a message that only you can tell, and it's going to connect with someone. Um, So after these one, two, three books, and if not for those one, two, three books, this person would never have contacted me. Um, I got a call from a local historian who said, do I have a story for you? And she said, I have all of the newspaper articles from a murder that happened in Mitchell County, our county, over 100 years ago. It was the first and only murder in Mitchell County for over 100 years. Um, She said it would be historical fiction. And she said, please come to my house, sit down. She said, I'll share the articles with you. And I wanted to say to her, I don't do research. I make stuff up and I put it in books. But I felt like I needed to honor her request. So I showed up at her house. Um, Her mother was there in her 80s at the time. I sat down in the oilcloth, little kind of sticky table, um, you know, old-fashioned house. And she brings out these uh, copies that she had run off using micro um, fish. Is that the way you say it? Micro fish? Yes. And um, kind of scattered. They weren't even in order. And she sent them home with me. I stuck them under my bed. I put them behind a dresser. I didn't want to look at it because then I'd have to do something with it. Um, I finally pulled them out, made a timeline, and it was Mary Meyer who pulled me into the story. And she is what we would probably call the protagonist of the book. You just gave me chills because this book, although it's fiction, it's based on reality. These were real people. These were real conversations that took place. This is more real than made up in a way. Yes. Is that fair? Exactly. Yes, it's fair. Um, Mary Meyer, um, protagonist, her husband, Henry. We have Ella, Eddie, and Will. These are actual people. They're children. Um, DeForest Fairbanks was a uh, person who lived in that town. David McLaughlin was the founder of the town um, that came in with the railroad and went out with the railroad. It only existed about 40 years, um, population probably of 75. However, with um, a wicker chair factory, shoe shop, dentist, harness repair, creamery and co-op, blacksmith, butcher, lumberyard, um, general store, of course, got to have that. Postmaster uh, Hotel, which is uh, which was run by um, Mary and, and Henry Meyer and their children. And so that's where most of the story takes place. George Robbins, blacksmith, Mr. and Mrs. Port ran the general store. Miss Jenny Bloomhagen had a dress shop. The Reverend is fictional because uh, why is the Reverend fictional? Because he was never mentioned in any of the um, court documents that were printed in the newspapers at the time. Um, The David Community Church still exists today um, amidst um, cornfields and bean fields and a large farm that's probably um, 50 yards away. That's all that exists anymore of the little town of David. Um, They picked up the railroad tracks 
It's on a dusty gravel road. What is interesting to me is that the signpost, which they put up, I don't know how many years ago, says Shadow Avenue. Now, who came up with that? Wow. <laughs> because they're, they're usually, you know, in alphabetical order, our, our street or road signs are. And I thought it was really interesting that someone came up with Shadow Avenue. And then we have uh, Mr. Eaton, who was the defense attorney, and Mr. Lovejoy, who was the prosecuting attorney. Those were all very real people. This was a living, breathing, alive with all of those people you just mentioned place. And now it's just gone. Yes. Except for the church. Except for the church. They still have services every Sunday in summertime because there is no heat in the church and there's no plumbing in the church. Um, This is a fun little story. Also, I was there uh, a couple of weeks ago um, to be their visitor speaker. They have a um, speaker that they invite for their ladies visitors day once a summer. And eight years or several uh, here, years after the book came out, um, I'm invited to be the speaker. So um, it was a good day for me, but of course, when you talk, at least for me, um, I always need to go to the bathroom before I speak, and <laughs> I had to go to an outhouse. I had to go to an outhouse no. uh, because there's no plumbing inside. Kathy, you're <laughs> making that up. Are you serious? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. I am not. I am not. Um, and the, the ladies who bring the salads, they bring large containers or thermoses of hot, hot soapy water to be able to wash their dishes and keep their hands clean while they're serving the meal. So it was quite an experience. Did you have any sense of any of the people? I mean, was there any kind of um, sort of deja vu feeling about the place because of, of the story in the book? A little bit, but also behind that, you say the story behind the story, and that is so huge because um, it could there's a story behind the story and then there's the stories behind the story. And there are so many. One of the things that I realized when giving the talk at this church is that there were like four or five women that were instrumental in uh, encouraging me to write this, get the information to me, help with editing. These people are all gone. They've all passed. And I think that's what sent shivers down kind of everybody's skin when I mentioned that is because these were all ladies that these ladies knew um, and worked with and went to church with and visited with and socialized with. And time um, and none of it was due to the pandemic. It was just getting older, um, sicknesses, that kind of thing, which also makes us realize that we need to kind of grab the moments that we're in and make the best of them. It's like X marks the spot. Here I am. What do I do with it? Time is the great eraser, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Well, let's give the listeners a little overview of the book, but don't give them too much. We don't want them to know exactly what happened. Let's just tease them a little bit. Okay. I'd like to read the introduction, if you're okay with that. I'm great with that. Okay, it starts, or it reads, In the spring of 1977, a rusty lime green 1950 Chevy slowly crept up the driveway of the Gary and Cheryl Pearson farmstead. An older fellow stepped unsteadily from the car. 
Is this David? He asked. Gary Pearson studied the man, definitely not from around here, a string bean of a man, weak and pallid. The stranger wore clothes that were clean, but he appeared to be uncomfortable inside them. Gary nodded and said not a word. I'll be right up front with you, the stranger stated. I just got out of prison. With a cracked voice, as if he had not used it much, he continued. I was a cellmate of someone who used to live here. Almost 20 years later, in 1996, Gary Pearson began tilling the ground with intentions to build a small playground next to the David Community Church so that the Bible school children would have a place to play. According to the Press News reporter at the time, what Gary found had more to do with the past than with the future. Concrete remnants of building foundations, which lined the main street of David, were unveiled along with cinder residue, more than likely sidewalk material. Typically, historical fiction tells a story set in the past with fictional characters. Although stories vary, the made-up account of ordinary people is interwoven with historical events of the time. Thou shalt not is the exception. The characters existed, the setting was real, and various incidents were authentic. Several of the conversations came directly from court documents as printed in local newspapers from 1898 to 1899. As I read the accounts over and over, I took notes and started reading between the lines. The narrative developed. I'd like to add one comment after that in that um, it is historical and it is fiction. Um, But I had to read between the lines, of course, to flesh out the characters. And it's always kind of interesting to me that after persons have read this and they'll come up to me, why hasn't anybody said how much of this is really true (laughs) or which parts are not true? Because certainly when you flesh out the characters and read between the lines, you think, well, knowing this character as I do from what I've read, I think she would do this or he would do this or they would feel this way. And and everyone pretty much just takes a story for, for the absolute truth. You know what fiction writers will often say is that their characters won't do anything that the character wouldn't do. So you have created a character that is part reality and part fiction, and yet because you've done your research and because you know this person, and I'm doing air quotes, because you know this person, you probably would not write anything because the character wouldn't let you write anything that the character wouldn't do. Is that a fair thing to say? I think so. It would be an inconsistency with what they were represented to be. The characters take on a literal life of their own in fiction writing. Um, Indeed. Yeah, they do. I mean, and it's the fiction writers, I'm always absolutely in awe of fiction writers because I've written a little myself, but nothing like what you've experienced. It's, It's hard to talk about in a way that doesn't sound a little bit nuts, if you'll pardon the expression, because the characters take on this life of their own. And I remember when I was trying to write uh, the book that I wrote, um, 
they would wake me up at three o'clock in the morning and there would be a plot twist or there would be something major mm-hmm. that would happen. And I would have to get up and I would have to write that whatever it was then. You can't wait till you wake up because then it's gone. Mm-hmm. Did you experience yeah. yes. some similar things? Yeah. Oh, I've had that. I've had that experience. And it's almost like, wow, I got, I got to get this down because this is good. Why didn't I think about this during the day? Bingo. I mean, it's yeah. really, Talk really about interesting. Characters, characters coming alive. During my uh, research for this, I uh, went to our uh, county jail and uh, the sheriff at the time, um, actually he was a retired sheriff, but I met him there, uh, had a real interest in this story. Uh, in fact, there's a quote on the back of the book, which reads, uh, Stoffer used a true story from rural Iowa in the late 1800s and created an historical novel that will keep you spellbound until the end when a quiet village exploded with the ultimate evil. Well, he went, he said, Kathy, he said, I'm, I'm going to get something on a file cabinet. I'll be back in a little bit. And he came out and he brought me um, the prison records from the um, person who committed the crime, which really, it made my eyes go like big um, because it was like, this. okay, this is really real. This is really real. And it lists his violations. And I don't know if these would be violations in today's prison, <laughs> but talking in bathroom, insolence to officer, disorderly at table, quarreling, fighting, using profanity, standing on clothes in bathroom, visiting with painters in the chapel, loafing, visiting in school office, and then on and on and on with dates and um, the officer who turned him in. So this particular person was not necessarily likable. Wow. That gave him a whole different facet, didn't it? Yes, yes, and gave more in-depth to, uh, even though he presented himself in court records as, um, well, he he helped paint the church, although he was kind of a nuisance, it said, while he was there. Um, there were records there what of the odd jobs that he did in the community, and he had like little quirks, you know, that he didn't necessarily get along with people. And then when you see his prison record, um, it's a, yeah, this, this all fits. This all fits. This is who he was. Well, we have teased our listeners so much with this. I know now that we must tell them where they can find it and how they can get a copy. This is on Amazon. And just in case there is someone who is hearing our, our interview who's never gone to Amazon to buy anything. I can't imagine that that person exists, but I always think that there might be someone out there. All you have to do to get to Amazon is look at your computer screen, and up at the top, there's a search feature. All you have to do is type in www.amazon.com. Your computer will take you right to the home page. Now, the home page can be a little overwhelming the first time you go there because there's a lot of stuff. But the thing you're looking for is a big, empty, long, rectangular box. That's where you're going to type in the following information so you can find the book. The title of Kathy's book is Thou Shalt Not by Kathy Stoffer. Stoffer, excuse me. K-A-T-H-Y-S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R. If you 
Type and that. actually, uh, on the book, Suzanne, it's Kathleen. Is it Kathleen? Okay. So it's yes, K-A-T-H-L-I-N-E, right, Kathy? L-E-E-N. L-E-E-N. Correct. K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R. There you go. If you type that in the search feature, click on it, the book will come up. Now, here's the here's the great thing. if you When you look at the book cover... In the upper right-hand corner of the book cover, you'll see two words. It'll say, look inside. If you click on those two words, look inside, just put your cursor up there and, and give it a little click, the book opens electronically. And I always find myself doing electronic quotes because I think of books opening, and this is an electronic book opening. You'll be able to read a, a, an excerpt from the book right there, and that will just pull you right into the book, just like what Kathy read us a few minutes ago. Now, Kathy, is there any other place that they could go to besides Amazon to find the book? I am comfortable with getting my email and putting um, a person who might be interested in it in the subject line, um, just the name of the book, Thou Shalt Not. I do mail, snail mail, um, lots of books through the mail, and so I'm comfortable with that. And my email address would be Kathy with a K, A-T-H-Y, Stauffer, S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R, at Hotmail.com. Now, you also have a blog site. Tell me about the blog site. Um, that's Kathy Stauffer at blogsite.com is one of the ways to get to it. Um, I just put a little bit about lots of things out there. I think there are probably 300 to 400 uh, little articles in there or narrative pieces about a smattering of things about where I'm coming from, um, what I believe to be... Um, important in life, uh, how I think. Uh, there might be a chuckle. There might be a, a reason for you to stop and think about something. I think that's something that I try to achieve in all of my writing in that after the reader has read this, what are they taking away from it? What are they still thinking about? Um, that's important to me that I think there's a message. Everybody has a message that they want to tell, but particularly people who are pulled to write um, there's a message there that only comes from you, and it's written for a reason, to connect with somebody or not. I couldn't agree more. And I love the way you describe your own description of your writing is that it's a mix of suspense, psychological intrigue, and inspiration with a little bit of romance and humor. And I have to say with this book, real characters and real situations and real tragedy and heartbreak. When our listeners buy a copy of the book and they sit down and they read and they finish and they either electronically or physically close that back cover for the very last time, this is a very powerful, fascinating, interesting story. Do you just want them to feel like they have been entertained by a really great story or is there something else that you would like for them to take away from the book? That's a big, big, even vast question. <laughs> I don't know if I can pull this together, but I'm going to try to. I just think that 
there's a lot we need to figure out in life. And by um, either being entertained by a book or learning something new by a book that we try to understand where different people are coming from and why we experience the things that we do and why what maybe happened way back then still touches our lives today uh, in that there is a bigger picture in each one of our lives. And how it all plays out is a journey that's different for each one of us. And it's really kind of fascinating. <laughs> you know, you can take the bad things and you can take the good things and you can concentrate on the bad things or you can concentrate on the good things. Um, pull it all together and, and figure out where you're really headed or what your purpose is and how you're a part of something really bigger and better maybe than anything that you've imagined. Kathy, I can't thank you enough for being our guest today on Books on Air. This was such an absolute pleasure. This is such a fascinating book. Thank you so much for sharing the story and the backstory with us today. I've enjoyed our chat. Thank you, Suzanne. Now remember, you can find Kathy Stauffer's book on Amazon. The title is Thou Shalt Not by Kathleen, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N, Stauffer, S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I hope you'll join us for the next Books on Air podcast. Remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you really never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.